So, Rigby, come on up, man. It's a privilege to have you. Rigby leads a phenomenal gospel-centered movement in uh, Cape Town. He's an encouragement. He's been in ministry for longer than I've been alive, and he's been a great source of encouragement for me. I'm hoping that I'm hoping you'll stay alive after a comment like that. Am I on? Can I? Cool. So, let me just say what a joy and privilege it is for Sue and I to be in this great nation of the United States of America. And uh, I uh, want to say we have this huge debt of love for, for America. You, don't, you have no idea how many of the voices in this great nation shape uh, and have shaped how we think, uh, how we do mission. Uh, Nick, you should try that from time to time. It might be a new experience for you, just thinking, full stop. Uh, uh, Nick and I have a pure and simple relationship. I'm pure and he's simple. <laughs> okay, that's, a, that's an old joke. Uh, truth be told, uh, I'm genuinely so thrilled uh, to be here at the launch of uh, this hub in North America. Having lived in the genesis of the story and uh, uh, having been four years doing local church, planting some churches, seeing fruitfulness, uh, and having this uh, relationship developing with God first in Johannesburg and common ground in, in uh, Cape Town and uh, a lot of grace and uh, uh, you know, innovation flowing between our two communities. And uh, PJ had ministered into Common Ground once, and he uh, said to me, you can either continue to live your life in splendid isolation, or you can buy into the notion that we can do something together. There was no coercion in that as, as much as it was a statement of reality. And now four years down the road, uh, Sue and I and the community we are part of, we can say our church is, uh, is connected to something better, and we're better for it. Uh, we connected to something bigger, and we're bigger for it. We connected to something more believable and credible because there's a story unfolding through a network of relationships that gives our voice a little bit more credibility. And then there's this notion of blessing together, which uh, has been put on steroids as we've, uh, as we've journeyed. So I want to just encourage those of you that are still in the sort of phase of looking in, trying to discover, uh, I want to make it clear uh, that you need to give yourself permission to do this with conviction. Uh, we exist as a movement to strengthen and plant churches, and it's so important that uh, you do this out of strength and out of conviction, not out of uh, outsourcing your identity or feeling joining a movement is going to redefine your future. The truth is, Jesus has got it all covered, uh, and there are good ways, and then there are great ways to do it, and I'm convinced that the way we're doing it is a great way. So thanks, PJ, for that, and you, Ash, for our friendship, and for that time when he kind of eyeballed me and said, you can continue to live in splendid isolation, or we could do something together, and you're such a dear friend. I have massive uh, respect for you, and thank you for uh, the privilege of seeing in a guy in his 50s uh, the fact that our lives matter and we could do something. Uh, I'm, I'm 60 now. I know you're shocked, but uh, 
and uh, you were wondering, what are you doing taking your daughter all over the world? But uh, that's actually my wife. <laughs> and uh, Sue and I will be married 40 years next year. But I, I want to say, we, we, we've never been more excited about the cause of Christ. We've never believed more in the church. Uh, we we want to give our lives to the mission of Jesus and see grace splash freshly on the world and on our city. And we want to do it together with mates like you. So that's the intro. I want to speak to you today uh, what I've entitled Jesus' Final Leadership Masterclass. The subtext of that is, is leadership as spirituality and uh, it probably will be about as brutal as Josh's talk to us. It goes for the heart in an age where so often we're tempted to do ministry from the outside in. What's this conference going to add to my life? What's the new uh, 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 formulas, recipes, secrets for success? Uh, and the way the gospel works is it doesn't work from the outside in. It works from the inside out. And we want to hold together two massively good things, leadership as spirituality and leadership as technology. There is a component called technology. But spirituality, the whole uh, definition of, of leadership as spirituality, uh, answers the huge question of who we are and why we do what we do. If those two questions are not answered first, then what we do and how we do it can be the primary drivers and we can be hurt. But when the question of who we are and why we do what we do is in play, it freshly informs the how and the what and gives it uh, uh, its rightful place in the way we do mission. So I want to turn your attention to John's Gospel, chapter 13. And I want to invite you to read this with me. And be conscious as we read this together that this is the kind of passage that we think we're doing the reading, but the passage is reading us and it's reading this current uh, season in the birth of a movement and a hub. And we want this kind of stuff to define. There's nothing hugely sexy about this kind of talk, but it's what I would call a building block talk for our future together. So let's read John 13 verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, 
but it's completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Lord, I want to pray that you would uh, get our attention. Uh, I want to pray that uh, this passage of Scripture would wash over our lives, would wash over our callings, would wash over our teams, would wash over our sense of the future, that, uh, that we would have the washing of the water of the Word of God in our lives this morning. Amen. So God is way more interested... In you than in what you can do for him. Hmm. He's not a utilitarian God. He says, I'm going to call Johnny, Jack, Jill, and Mary because I've got some stuff I want to accomplish and I'm going to just use you. God is not a utilitarian God. Listen to Dallas Willard. The only thing that we will get out of our lives and take into eternity when we breathe our last breath and stand before God with everything stripped away is the person I have become. Therefore, who you are and who you are becoming is the key question. As the story of this rabbi looked like Donnie walking down the streets of Jerusalem and... Uh, Stroking his beard, uh, praying prayers, Lord, heal my rejection, nobody loves me. Okay, I'm just having a go at you. But uh, goes left, goes right, goes left, goes right, comes to these big massive gates, and outside is this huge uh, centurion standing there with his spear, and he barks out, Who are you? Why are you here? And uh, the rabbi just strokes his beard a little bit more and says, uh, would you say that again, please? Who are you? Why are you there? Why are you here? To which he says, how much do they pay you to do this? He said, 20 denarii a week. He says, I will pay you 40 denarii a week if you come stand outside my house. And every time I go in and every time I come out, you ask that question. Who are you and why are you here? Folk, leaderships as spirituality answers that question, who I am. And I know who I am when I know whose I am. And I live as that as the securing and anchoring reality of my life and our calling. I live like a son, live like a daughter. That's got to be in place who you are. But I also need to answer the question of, of why. It's not just an identity. God always marries this identity, a sense of purpose. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then in the power of the Spirit, Jesus goes on mission in the security of his identity. And we've had great teaching. 
Josh absolutely nailed that for us the other day. In this passage, we see like a flow. It seems like Jesus, uh, we, we see Mary and Martha episode in the previous ch- chapter, expensive perfume, anointed for burial. There's, Jesus is in the home straight. He's moving toward the absolute climax of his earthly ministry. The cross looms large on the horizon. And now Jesus is having this last Passover meal with his disciples. There's a parallel passage in play here. If you go to Luke's gospel, it, uh, uh, the disciples have this conversation around who's the greatest in the kingdom. We're not going to go there, but just keep that in the back of your mind to get a sense of what is unfolding. And you'll see in this passage, there's this, there's this flow uh, of seven characteristics of what I call spiritual leadership. Jesus models this for us, and it can inform and shape the who and the and the why of ministry for, for our lives in the 21st century. Number one, notice that spiritual leadership for Jesus, he perceives a sense of timing. Verse one, Jesus knew that the time had come. This is the kairos. This is the moment. This is the moment that the whole buildup of three and a half years of public ministry was moving toward. This is the zenith of the who and the why of Jesus. Jesus is modeling for us as a leader under his Father's authority that he wasn't just coming to do the right things. He was coming to do the right things at the right time. There's timing here. And folk, technology can help us tell the time. But technology will never help us get our timing right. We need the Holy Spirit to do that. We need the whispers of God to do that. We need healthy teams to develop the consensus around timing so that we don't rush ahead like common ground did in one of our church plants where we thought we could back ourselves to plant a church even though we didn't have a leader and we nearly killed another leader who had to lead two congregations. And I was really keen for that because I wasn't leading anything. And I work on the assumption of what are friends for if you can't abuse them. I don't. I don't. But I sat with one of our pastors and his wife around a table. And, uh, and she told a totally different I can do it. Send me. I'm the man. We can do two churches. We're up for it. And then I said, and how are you feeling, Julie? He knows the story. She said, our, our marriage is taking strain. The kids hardly see their dad. I don't know what to do. And boy, did we pay school fees. And we learned something. That uh, there's a big difference between God's movement and God's moment. And we learn from Jesus here that the issue of perceiving timing is critical for our lives. And if we want to be here for the long haul, we can't afford to be a one-decade wonder church who got timing right once. We've got to keep getting the timing right. And we need to live in the slipstream of Jesus in this masterclass, the first thing he teaches us by his own life. This, is just, this isn't just Jesus teaching on leadership. This is Jesus modeling leadership. And he climaxes this whole episode with, you, you, you need to watch my life and do what I do. 
The second thing we see here is spiritual leadership has eternity in view. And it's such a dangerous thing to say right now because every pastor says that. We talk about believing it, but I just want to say it again, and I want to put it freshly as the backdrop for our lives. My dear friends, this life, this one and only life we have on this planet and what's left of it is like a vapor and a mist. Martin Luther spoke about having two days in his calendar. He has this day and he has that day. And he does everything today against the backdrop of that day. Listen to Jesus. He says Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. What happens in time and our obedience and our one and only chance to glorify God with our one and only lives, that passes into eternity, into that day. And as called ones, as those who've been commissioned, as those who've been authorized to go into the world to bring this message, we don't have forever. We need to seize the day. And we need to realize that there's a day that one day we will give an account for God, for our leadership, for the opportunities well stewarded. And Jesus is anticipating that in his own life, that he's about to enter the heavens with his, his own sacrifice behind the veil, and he is going to fulfill his life purpose. We're never going to do that, but we need to be inspired by the reality that we'll carry the message of that for all of our days. And one day, we have a date as shepherds with the chief shepherd where he wants to confer on us by the workings of his grace that crown, that shepherd's crown where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Thirdly, notice also in verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world. Donnie did it so well in our first session. He just reminded us again. When you talk about eternity, everyone says, oh, I know that. Talk about love. Oh, yeah. We, you know, we know all about that. But Jesus, the one who is God-made flesh, is now in the statement, gospel made real. He's saying the gospel is about love. For God so loved the world. He's in the home straight where this is going to have climactic reality. He's about to lay down his, and having loved his own who were in the world. Ministry is about, is about getting the authority and the power of love functioning in our lives. And uh, we love the story of Peter being recalibrated at the, after the resurrection. But notice that he gets freshly commissioned about Simon, around the questions of love. Simon Peter, do you love me? Folk, I want to make that a massive uh, part of how we do ministry and how we do life and how we obey God into the future. I want to remind us that our ministry, our preaching, our culture engagement, our innovation, all the technologies, all of that, the consistency or the the truth of the gospel is on trial through the consistency of our love. 
Jesus is about to sow, show the full extent of his love. How many know foot washing is pointing to something that is the absolute real deal? Foot washing is pointing to the ultimate washing that will come via the blood of Jesus. Number four, spiritual leadership invites imitation or modeling. Look at it. Also in verse 1, he now showed them the full extent of his love. He now showed them. This is his final leadership masterclass. This is what he wants them to remember about their involvement with him in his final hours. He wants them to get this. Folk, it's about example. And when we start to lean too much into technology and do sexy church and think that a lot of things that are fantastic supplements, but if they become substitutes for authentic hearts. Remember technology, first century church used it. They used the Roman roads. It's the equivalent of our 21st century internet, super information highways. But I don't ever see anywhere in the book of Acts those disciples getting down and worshiping the roads and kissing, you know, all, those, uh, all that architecture. But both the message... And the messengers moved, and the gospel moved forward across those roads. So we don't want to live in this unhealthy tension where we're so spiritual, we oppose uh, technology. But where do we start? Where do we start? We start with the quality of our lives. And the question on the table is, what is worth imitating in your life and mine in the sphere where God has called us? What is worth imitating? And I think that's about the scariest question, but the answer to that is going to determine the leadership potential and the redemptive potential of our local churches because everything we're going to do, we're going to do because there is a discipleship process happening that's based on imitation, not innovation. Listen to Alexander Fenter who speaks on this passage. He says, leadership shows who God is. It shows what he's doing. It shows what love is. And it shows what love does. We lead by example. We lead by modeling love to the full extent. The full extent to us is the ends of the horizons. The, end, the end of, ends of the horizons of our faith in God. And his eternal, inexhaustible, infinite, horizonless love in which we live and lead from, model and impart to those God has given us to lead. It means love, leading with His love. Jesus shows them the full extent of His love. He wants that to be the memory in their minds as these future apostolic pioneers get commissioned to go to the world. It still matters, and it still counts. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. Fifthly, spiritual leadership exposes, absorbs, and defeats evil in all its forms. Think about it. Verse 2 the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
The same event in Judas' mind is a moment for betrayal. For Jesus, it's a moment to demonstrate his love. Do you and I find there are times when we're giving it our absolute best shot, doing the best we can, and out of nowhere we can find some curveballs thrown at us at best and sometimes some absolutely agonizing, born in the pit of hell conflict that comes our way. The reality is that anything to do with kingdom and leadership will be opposed by the kingdom of darkness and the notion that we can follow Jesus and Jesus is leaving behind us the reality that disappointment, if you say yes to leading, you're going to have disappointment. But Jesus didn't press pause on the future of his mission in the world just because of some past disappointments. He still raised his sail to the grace of his Father and said, I'm committed to living out the mission that you've given me. Alexander Fenter says this, But the mystery of Jesus' style of leadership is that although, is that through suffering servanthood, it exposes and absorbs and defeats evil in all its forms, liberating all in its sphere into the kingdom of God. Every leader worth their spiritual weight in God has a Judas or two in their team from time to time. God does it to test our character, our spirituality of leadership, and to teach us to love and to defeat the evil operating behind, in, and through that other person's brokenness. The challenge for leaders is to keep our hearts forever soft and vulnerable in the face of backstabbing betrayal, which is so often motivated by money, position, power, selfish ambition, and leadership struggle. And in the face of it, oh my friend, think about it. This is the creator of the universe, the soon-to-become-redeemer sacrificial lamb who gets on his knees and washes the feet of his disciples and his enemy. He keeps on washing feet. The feet of betrayers till evil is defeated. So whilst it's true we all have that from time to time, let's just make sure it's not all the time. Because then we'll be having a different conversation around how you lead. But I take tremendous comfort and we don't have time. We've all got our war stories. We don't want to exalt our war stories. We do want to make much of Jesus' ability to bring us through and give us new seasons on the other side. Sixthly, spiritual leadership is rooted in sovereignty and security. Look at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Wow. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. If you know where you come from, you know where you're going, and you know you're under God's authority between the bookends of those two realities, then there's no excuse for stewing in insecurity. There's no excuse for living in the tyranny of comparison. We start to enjoy who we are. And there's a security and a yieldedness to you have the right to rule. Only you have the right to rule. And whatever you decree, I celebrate it. I yield to that. There's an Aquila and Priscilla 
booted out of Rome by Nero, and then moving east, wondering, can you imagine the conversations on the road? Husband, wife, just lost their home, everything. Maybe a bit of a squabble every now and then. I mean, gee, look, look what's happened. We decided to follow Jesus, and all we're doing is getting into to trouble. While that's happening to them, Paul's moving out of Thessalonica, and he's going west. And these guys find each other in Corinth, and a church is born under the sovereignty of God. All kinds of fantastic things. Yes, God does bring beauty out of ashes, and God does work all things together for the good of those who love and are called according to His purpose. Time to get the big purpose back on the screen. Time to begin to put the, the, the window screen of vision and a magnificent future in God on the front and stop camping in the rearview mirror and over-auditing the past. I believe this stuff so much, I nearly took up an offering. But some of you guys would have said it wasn't that good. Jesus knew that the Father put everything under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. Last one. Spiritual leadership is serving. I wish I'd learned this earlier in my life. I wish I had learned to subordinate ego to the bigger thing that God was doing. I wish I'd learned to harmonize my call with the grace of God and not just all the overly ambitious programs, the technology, the other noises. I wish I got this part of spiritual leadership right in my life early. So he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Majesty bows down to those he loves. Probably at about this point in the Passover meal in Luke's account, Jesus is answering the issue of who's the greatest in the kingdom. He says, you, you, you want to know? I'm going to give you a master class on greatness. I want you to know that you don't generate greatness. You can't create it. There's only room for greatness in God. And if you want greatness in human beings, find it in others and serve it and call it forth. These disciples are having this conversation around who's the new hotshot future super apostle who's going to take this band of apostolic pioneers into the future. Who is going to succeed Jesus? That's probably at the heart of this conversation. How, how would you like to be in that, you know, auditing kind of interviewing team? Who's going to be, who's going to place you? Nobody can, nobody can ever fill the shoes. So what Jesus had to do is he had to redefine leadership for these guys as servers. Leadership strips itself like Jesus did. Took the towel off. More than that, what Jesus did in the incarnation is the kenosis of Philippians 2. He 
stripped himself, made himself empty of privilege and power and position and status and pretense and presumption. And he never grasped at any of that stuff. He let it go and he held on to, out of security, what really mattered. He comes naked and vulnerable with no tactics or manipulative practices and no hooks and kneels down to wash. let me say this as I wrap up on this point given some thought in prayer over the last while I've camped in this passage for a few weeks and just try to read some stuff commentaries but I am just undone by this stuff I'm saying the next 15 years of ministry that God graces me I've probably got still 20 churches to plant I want to, I want to be in the game I want this stuff to define me at a heart level and this is what happened i got so excited about the possibility that it's not about me planting you i want to help everybody else i can plant churches because ephesians 4 ministries paul redefines and if you want a new model to understand that and if we living in the peanut butter confusion of where does it all fit in and do we agree with this stuff and how does it play out and all of that paul comes to the Philippian church in chapter 2 and verse 17. He says, my life is like a drink offering. Where did he get that from? He probably read John's account or maybe interviewed some of the apostles who gave him some of feedback of this moment. My life is a drink offering poured out on the sacrifice of the service of the saints. Now, folk, there are two kinds of drink offerings in the Roman Greco world. There was a drink offering that was, uh, it was wine poured out, which I think is a ridiculously blasphemous thing, to pour out wine <laughs> as an offering to one of the gods. But, but I think Paul is borrowing from his Old Testament rabbinical kind of training, and he's referring to the drink offering, which was the accompanying offering. And if you go and check it out, there are not too many commentaries that, that unpack this. But, and the reason is because it was such a minor deal. I want for us, for Ephesians 4 Ministries, to be the drink offering that gets poured out on the sacrifice of the service of the saints. It was the accompanying offering for the main offering. And folk, the main offering is what happens in the local church to the priesthood of all believers as people team and collaborate together for the forward movement of the gospel. And Paul lived that out in the most powerful way. See how his uh, fatherly role in nurturing others over and over again, he is modeling this drink offering. At the end of his life, he says to Timothy, even now I'm a drink offering. And if our lives can be poured out so that others can plant churches and other churches can go further, what a wonderful thing that would be for us. Paul says, now I really live because you are standing firm in your faith. I want to say... For PJ, I know this man. I want to say for Donnie and these American brothers, Al and Brian and Stephen uh, Van Ryan and Stephen Jack, and as we've emerged, this is the kind of hard attitude that is governing how we want to see uh, the gospel multiplied in and through local churches. Paul says the local church is the field 
We're just his co-workers. We're these drink-offering co-workers. And the playing field will always be the local church. So strengthen the local churches and plant churches. That's why we exist, to get behind what God is doing in these communities. And so, Jesus, this is the challenge to us as we lead out of this masterclass of Christ. It's not my masterclass, it's his. Verse 12 to 15, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me Rabbi and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Father, I pray for every church represented in this room. Pray for every leadership team. Thank you that absolutely everything about our churches is known to you. And I want to pray for a fresh work of grace in our hearts that we would learn servant leadership, that we would be defined by that into the future. I pray that you would help us to see the success and the fruit of our brothers and sisters in churches across the world as something we want to live and die for, for the glory of God. I want to ask, Lord, that you'd make this true of me as uh, I serve you the rest of my days. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God.